coming to you live on a recording from from the JMU campus. It's the Purple and Bold Podcast. Noah and I sitting outside the uh, Plecker Athletic Performance Center at Bridgeport Stadium, trying something a little different with the on-location recording of the weekly Purple and Bold Podcast. So, Noah, I guess first off, what do you think about being outside? We're not in the confines of our studio, picking up a little bit of noise with the wind and the uh, traffic on campus, but not a bad location, I don't think. No, I can work on my tan a little bit too. The sun's out, so you know it's, it's not a bad time. You know, better than being in the studio inside, trying something new. If the people like it, we'll we'll bring it back next week. Yeah, and we're doing this because we we're at football practice. They kick us out for a little while. We've got time in between before not we go a lot of time. before we go do before we go do some interviews. So we're trying this to uh, fill that time with a little on location podcast, and we've got a lot to talk about. Saturday was. I mean, I think it's fair to say that was not what anybody really expected. Not that people weren't necessarily expecting a JMU win, but 44-7, to which the score maybe even wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> this could have been a 50-point blowout for, for JMU very easily if they uh, hit on a couple of the early passes. You know, Todd Santeo said it himself. He should have had eight touchdowns instead of only six. Um, yeah. We could start with Todd. That was you know, incredible performance. I think we thought they had a experienced, solid quarterback. He came in and looked extremely good, especially from the second quarter on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he looked shaky at the beginning, but, you know, that's with anyone with their first game at a new place. You know, it's going to be different than practice. But he settled down and just started tearing up Middle Tennessee's defense. And so I think, you know, yeah, it wasn't ex- expected to be a 30-plus point blowout win, but I think they'll take it and move on to Norfolk State, which is kind of the ex- expectation of a 40-point blowout win. Yeah, um, we'll talk a little bit more about Centeo yeah. before we move on because everybody wants to know about the quarterbacks and you know <clears throat> there was some mystery to some degree. We'd only seen him really in the spring game playing in this system, and he looked like somebody who had come a long ways since the spring. I mean, he wasn't bad in the spring game, but looked like a completely different player out there against a team that you know made proof to not be very good. Middle Tennessee State team, we may see that, but. In their, you know, really their FBS history, they haven't been bad. This is a, like, yep. I'd say, an average group of five program down through the years. So maybe this is a down year for them. But it, I mean, they won a bowl it, game. It was an impressive performance by Centeno, which uh, the nation kind of took notice of. Six touchdowns, over 100 yards rushing, um, to go along with you know pretty proficient passing game. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> how surprised were you just to see that level of play from him? I mean, I was expecting him to, you know, go out there and play well, you know, maybe throw a couple of touchdowns and, and run the ball well. But I was kind of surprised, you know, we're sitting there at halftime and he's got a few touchdowns under his belt and he comes back out third quarter first drive and then scores another after the defense kind of makes a stand early on in the game. So I think, you know, overall, it's a good start for him. Um, you know, I saw a stat today. He's the first FBS quarterback to go for six passing touchdowns and 100 rushing yards since Lamar Jackson. Not bad to choose to follow who it appears – they had played together in 7-on-7 seven seven in high school, just both being Florida guys. So not a surprise <laughs> to see it come out. You know, we'll ask him about that tomorrow. But overall, I think, you know, it's a great start, something for him to build on. He obviously said, you know, he wanted eight touchdowns instead of six with a couple of high passes and, and things like that in the first quarter. But he settled down. He looked like Totson Teo that people thought they were getting, maybe even a better version of Totson Teo than people thought they were getting. Yeah, I mean, we'll be honest. The reaction in the press box early on, he missed an open Chris Thornton. And the reaction I mean, was yeah. kind of like, you know, Cole Johnson would have completed 
that pass. Yeah. And then from there on, it well, was he, pretty so he overthrew an open Chris Thornton, and then later in the drive, Thornton was wide open, and he went. He looked to Reggie Brown, I think, instead, and it was an incomplete yeah. pass, and it was like, geez. But then I guess he went to the sideline. They they talked it over, and he he looked fine after that. Didn't miss a wide open Thornton for the first touchdown he had, and then dropped the ball almost perfectly against two defensive backs on Thor in the back of the end zone for that second touchdown. Yeah, we can talk about it. That was, that was the play of the game where, you know, Thornton had two guys on him. He'd gotten a step on those guys into the back of the end zone. But that ball had to be put in right to, in the perfect spot, which yeah. Santeo did. And he also did that kind of shuffling out to the right, a little bit of a scramble. He, was, he wasn't uh, just standing still. One of the few times he was really under much significant pressure yeah. in the backfield, and he made probably the best throw of the day in that situation, which is – a dynamic we haven't seen really since as proficient as accurate as Cole Johnson was last year we hadn't seen that kind of like move since Ben DiNucci was playing here yeah and I think you know he's proven to be a mobile quarterback and he, he threw on the on the run really well um, on Saturday ran for 110 yards on 14 carries and some of those were design runs some of them he just pulled the option and ran so I think you know it's, it's good for him and, and a good start for JMU obviously in the FBS debut obviously they have much better defenses on the schedule, but it wasn't a bad start. Yeah. Um, we'll move on to the rest of the team. We, we yeah. talked a little bit about Chris Thornton. He, um, if not sent for Todd Santeo, kind of having that surprising performance and this maybe coming to be expected from Chris Thornton, I think everybody would be talking about his day with 12 catches, what was 155? So it ended yeah. up being adjusted. So on, okay. on Saturday night, it was 12 catches, 155, three touchdowns, and then I got a phone call on Sunday. They adjusted the stats. So he went for 11, 145, okay. and a touchdown. Because one of the number, one of the catches was given to – he was credited with one of Terrence Green's catches, which obviously okay. 0 and 8 kind of look similar. Yeah, o- only 11 catches. Only, only 11 only for 145. 11. Yeah. One um, off of career highs. And but. three touchdowns, I believe. Yeah, three. Yes, it, you know, an incredible day for him. Um, you know, I think I read that only three Sunbelt uh, wide receivers in the week one – went over 100 yards he was one of them he was well over 100 yards yeah um him getting into the end zone is really just becoming the expectation for him uh moving up the career charts at jmu really only playing half his career here he's only played i think 25 26 games and he's he entered the day being nine touchdowns off of the all-time career receiving touchdown list now he just needs six to get that so he yeah. could break that this weekend it could be done this month like you know it could be it could be done by nan to norfolk state yeah i mean I imagine he maybe won't. Maybe they'll try to spread the ball around a little bit more. Maybe he won't be out there too much in the second half. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into like a, a quick preview of Norfolk State later, um, but you know, <clears throat> we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. Running game was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, handed to a variety of different guys. Everybody kind of you know ran the ball well. The offensive line was opening up holes. The the surge. You know, you see some of the highlights, and you know, one thing that really jumps out was the offensive line surge and opening up those holes and really no tacklers there until they were three or four yards downfield for those running backs um, for a good chunk of the game. Um, just looking at the running game, obviously, yep. you know, Todd himself brings another dynamic to that when he's, you know, rushing for seven yards of carry um, on some designed runs. But beyond that, just, you know, seeing them use the variety of running backs, what was your overall impression just of the running game? You know, Percy was back, and he looks better than I think he did last season when he was out there, and I think that was just a positive thing to see. He went for 80-something yards. He was averaging five yards a carry. Not bad first game back for a guy who came off a season-ending injury, and then they used Luttrell, and 
and Wayne Knight a little bit there too. But you know, the biggest thing on the running game is the tight ends blocked very well. And I think when you're going to run an when you're going to run an offense like this with a lot of RPO and things like that, you need your tight ends to be able to block. And and you had that with Zach Gordon and Drew Painter. And so I think that jumps out big time when you look at you know success running the ball. It's going to start with blocking and, and just have that addition to the offensive line with those with those tight ends is perfect. Yeah, you, you did see that. You know, Zach Horton especially. Um, he got we got one penalty that he, stuck, and he, then he uh, had a, a, a he targeting the guy out of bounds. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, that, and it was and that was a legit penalty. But like, you know, as much as you know, he got chewed out for that. You also probably love to see the aggression that yeah. this early in the season. Uh, those are mistakes that you can fix. <laughs> um, they didn't throw to the tight ends at all, no. which is interesting and. Also, just kind of also, you know, leaves that open as, you know, something to add to the mix down the line. I mean, if you look um, at Tutson Taylor last year, he threw his tight ends a bunch at Colorado State. With Trey McBride, who obviously a first-round pick to the Arizona Cardinals, had, I think, over 90 receptions last year as a tight end and, and averaging, like, almost 10 a game. So, I think that's a kind of surprise they didn't throw to any. Granted, Jamie's tight ends aren't the best route runners compared to the guy who's in the first-round pick in the NFL, but they're good blockers, and I think they're using that. But we could see them open up the pass game with them a little bit. Yeah. We'll switch over to defense, which was just yep. an absolutely dominant performance by the JMU defense. Um, and it started up front because they took a lot of pressure off the secondary. Like, that, you know, basically, Bill Tennessee State's plays and their drives were over basically as soon as the first <laughs> snap on first down was there because they were just, just dominating it up front. Yeah, I mean, like, granted, the defense played well and they only allowed over just under over 100 yards offense and most of that came from the throwing i mean they were like 12 yards rushing the whole day and most of that came when the game was it well came decided in the third quarter when they went and scored a touchdown if they had one drive they could they could, they could sustain i do think though jamie's secondary got a little lucky at times there early in the game with chase cunningham really overthrowing his receivers i mean they were open on some cases and either it was a drop or an overthrow and they got lucky and at some points you take that luck and you move on but then they settled down after that and were able to pretty much keep them off the field, and I think, you know, that's good. You saw, you know, Brent Austin getting a lot of snaps for JMU at corner, and I think that's a positive sign. Yeah, I think, you know, luck was there. There were some passes that were just a hair off that the guy was open, but it also kind of also goes back to, like we said, the pressure from the defensive line and the linebackers made it harder to hit those open guys. I mean, he was getting rid of that ball quickly. try to try to make those plays and you know maybe you'll play against better quarterbacks who can make those plays under pressure the way we we saw Todd do it a couple times um it'll come soon with Chase Bryce yes <laughs> it, it will but you know at the same time it gives the I guess secondary the corners especially some time to recover or not recover but um adjust yeah they're still going to see that stuff on film and they just don't have to watch it be a touchdown, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, but, you know, along those lines, you can talk a little bit about the secondary. Um, you know, I think even if you – you can assume – let's say – let's just give Middle Tennessee State a couple of those completions yeah. that could have been early in the game. And there were some later in the game, too. Even though – okay, let's say – Maybe that's a slight technical issue there, but we'll jump right back into the conversation. Um, you know, like we were saying, you know, even if you give them, you know, 17 points, which maybe they could have had mm-hmm. with making some plays, um, where it was, it was maybe Middle Tennessee State not making the play as far as as opposed to JMU making the stop. Um, 
you're still talking about very good performance overall. I think yeah. you know, you'd probably take 17 points, 20 points, whatever, against a, uh, a FBS team most of the time, especially if your offense is going to play that well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, given, you know, you, you pointed out, you know, true freshman Brent Austin uh, graded out high, played, what would you say, like 30, 40%? 34 snaps, I think. Yeah. The, and they had 61 total defensive snaps. So these are guys that, you know, for the most part, um, you could probably count on everybody in that secondary getting better as yeah. the season goes along. Other than, you know, like, you know, Sam Kidd, Q Reed, some guys who played a lot, who have played a lot in the system already. You've you got to pretty much count on everybody quarterbacks especially but also several of the safeties yeah uh, you know Jarius Romani coming in his first game with the with this personnel I would think you could probably expect improvement week to week from the secondary and to start out with a pretty solid baseline I think is one of the most encouraging things probably saw from Jamie this week yeah I think it's a good start and I think you know obviously the defense wants to pitch a shutout they almost did and and they just allowed 12 rushing yards and I think moving on from week one, that's a it's probably a good takeaway to have. But you want to, you know, keep that going. I think they can. They want to. Their goal might be to hold the next team to ten rushing yards or whatever it is. And I think you know that's a good good start. Yeah, and that next team might make it possible because <laughs> here on Saturday, you know, right uh, over the wall from us, it's going to be Norfolk State coming to town. Uh, yeah, Norfolk State had a rough go of it over that's at Marshall. A good way to put it over at Marshall. That game uh, was on the press box before the JMU game started and. Uh, the score just kept getting more and more ridiculous as we uh, glanced up at the TV. It was like uh, 30 nothing and a half. Yeah. Um, we ended up being 55 to 3. Yep. 50, 50 something to 55 3. 55 to 3. Was the final score. Marshall um, looked good. Didn't give us a lot to go on no. as far as Norfolk State coming in here or Marshall coming in here later, but we'll see a lot more from Marshall. But uh, yeah. I was joking about it when we were inside at practice. Um, I kind of planned on asking Marshall coach Charlie Huff uh, during the Sunbelt teleconference yesterday something about Norfolk State, maybe finding one player who stood out or something, and then I looked at the box score and I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one player who stood out, so there wasn't really much of anything to take from from that game. Yeah. What are your expectations for Saturday then, given that this is – more or less an exhibition for JMU, like a chance for them to, to um, you know, work out any kinks that they saw over over their opener. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you want to look at it as an exhibition if you're JMU. You obviously want to approach every game the same because any given week it's college football. Some crazy yes. things happen. But I think, you know, after the game on Saturday, everyone talked about making a statement, and they did. 44-7 against North, against North, uh, Middle Tennessee, but Norfolk State just played a somewhat opponent in Marshall, 55 to three. Knowing Kurt Signetti and and the Jamie's you know things, there could be a possibility where you want to beat them by more than 55 to three. You want to say that Jamie's here to play? Obviously, you don't want to run the score up intentionally, but like things happen, and then you're gonna take your starters out pretty early in the second half, and you hope your backups can can do something. I mean, Marshall's did. So, I mean, it could be a thing hitched in the back of their mind. Well, Marshall won 55-3. Well, I don't – why doesn't Jamie go out there and win 62-3? So yeah, I don't know. and maybe you see um, them judging themselves by that first half, too. Like, what did it say? It was like 38 to nothing at halftime. It half was 38 time. nothing at halftime. <laughs> For Marshall. So, maybe, you know, even more than the final score um, and the final stat tallies. Maybe they're judging a little bit by the uh, by the first half. But 
also, I'm think guessing probably the totals. You want to see depth. Um, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see how quickly they go to this bench, the second, third string players. They didn't do it particularly early. They waited um, till like I mean, the, yeah. the second string offense got one drive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, JMU was up 37 to nothing um, in the third. It was the third quarter still yeah. yet um, on Saturday him. and left the first string in at that point, um, which has been, you know how Kurt Sanganetti has typically handled these things, especially at this point in the season yeah. in his previous years at JMU. But um, it is always something that gets talked about a little bit. It's like, when will he pull the quarterback? When will, you know, is Percy done for the day? Oh, no, Percy <laughs> came back in. Like, you know, you see that a lot uh, in these JMU games where, you know, frankly, we'd gotten used to the blowouts in previous years and weren't necessarily expecting this um, for, you know, Unless something incredibly shocking happens, it'll be two weeks to start the season where we see these huge blowouts. Yeah. Um, not necessarily what we were expecting, at least in week one. No. Um, but it will be interesting, I guess, to see, you know, how Jamie just handles the entire situation. When, you, when you're looking at this early in the season, you know, Jamie didn't have a lot of choices as far as, like, schedule. They had to kind of take what they could get in this scenario to get up to FBS this year. But... I wonder if this is how you would ideally want to do it, where you start with, you know, a pretty emotional game, the one that you kind of expected to be competitive, ended up not being, and then coming back with your lone FCS game that you're expected to win handily before a week off. I have to imagine that, like, if you're putting together your ideal schedule, that might not necessarily be, like, how uh, Signetti and Co. wanted to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's it makes sense, but like I don't think the bye week really plays a factor because I I don't know how much of say they get in scheduling conference games, but you know it works out. I mean that obviously this third week would be another non-conference game if you're playing a full twelve game schedule, which they're not this year. The only FBS team not to do it this year, obvious reasons, but it'll work out. And then you have two weeks to prepare for App State, which will be your first. We thought Middle Tennessee might be a test for this team, but it really wasn't. And App State, I can tell you, will definitely be a test for this team. And a team that put up 61 points against North Carolina and 40 in the fourth quarter. That'll be a test. And they got two weeks to prepare, and I think it might be the best-case scenario if you look past these first two games and you realize, well, you got two weeks of preparation before you hit the field on your first road game of the year, first road game of Sunbelt play, first Sunbelt game in as a general thing. So I think it's a lot of firsts as an FBS program, and it's, it's a big-time game. Yeah, and I am certainly looking at that App State game a little bit differently today than I was a few days ago just because um, – you know, App State's defense looked suspect it was against <laughs> <laughs> against uh, North Carolina, um, a team that I didn't think was very impressive in Week Zero against Florida A&M. Um, so you, you kind of got to wonder about you know JMU as, as good as their offense looked on Saturday. You know, maybe that's a solid test for App State's defense. Uh, and now we're looking at a situation where JMU, you know, might not be particularly beat up going yeah. into the game where. Um, you know, they were able to pull their starters late on Saturday. Should be able to do the same thing on Saturday, coming the coming Saturday, and, and then, then a, and then a bye week. week. Um, it's making me look at that game a little bit. I still think you know App State is the favorite there. Um, I think it really depends on how App State plays this yeah. week against another big time opponent. But then they play with Troy, and I think that'll really give a good miss test. Yeah, but um, I wouldn't look at it as such a huge upset necessarily from a JMU point of view if no. they could go down there and win as I might have just a few days ago. Well, and obviously it'll still be an upset because I mean going down there to Boone and winning is a pretty big 
pretty tall task. Yeah, but I may be a, like not as high on App State as I was just a yeah. b- before Saturday, I guess. Um, I kind of had them as my clear favorite in the East, and not not quite as sold on that now. Even you know people are talking about it being a Power Five loss. They played them down to the wire, which is true, but giving up sixty three points at home to anybody is not is great. rough go of it, and <clears throat> it wasn't. Alabama there. I'm not that sold on USC's yet, but maybe maybe uh, I'll be convinced otherwise as the season goes along. That's the thing. Like, I got some games I'm you know very curious about this week, and one of them is Middle Tennessee State at Colorado State. Colorado State's got a you know, new coaching staff, new quarterback, because the quarterback's here. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of things. Like you talk about they lost the first-round draft pick. Um, so very interested to see what Middle Tennessee State can do there in another road game. Uh, to kind of get a better sense of how to judge JMU on their victory. What else are you looking forward to this weekend beyond coming here, beyond looking at JMU and, you know, maybe some of their future opponents? What are, what are you looking for? You know, I think, you know, App State against Texas A&M is going to be a big game. You know, if App State hangs them, then I think, you know, they're real. And if they get blown out by Texas A&M, then it's the obvious, you know, maybe they're not as good of a team as people thinking. But overall, I just kind of want to see JMU go up against an opponent who now, you know, these FCS games that they used to play in the past, it was like an equal peer. Now you're playing down, and you know, I want to see how they go out there early in the game and see if it takes them a few drives to settle in or not because you don't want to see a team walk in and, you know, walk into a game like that and say, well, they're, they're a lower division team, and we don't think they're as good. And so you, you take a few drives off, and all of a sudden it's a game early in the game. And I want to see if JMU can go out there and put the pedal down drive one and, and really just not not give up. Any individuals or any units that you're really looking at um, against Norfolk State? Um, like I said, they should dominate pretty much all aspects of this game. But they they should, but I think, you know, we'll see more of Terrence Green this week. I mean, obviously, he was out there for a lot of snaps, like 55 snaps this week. One catch. Just how it went. And I think, you know, we might see some more out of him because, obviously, Norfolk State's going to pay more attention to Chris Thornton after a three-touchdown day. So that opens up the, the pass game a little more for, for Terrence Green. Yeah, and I wonder if this gives you an opportunity to intentionally kind of target Terrence Green, get him going, get his yeah. confidence going, let him know that you are <laughs> part of this offense. We, we see big things for you. Because he's a guy who's looked good when we've seen him practice, you know, yeah. made some pretty incredible catches. He's has, looks like he's got good hands. He's been in the end zone in the stadium before when he played here with Monmouth. With Monmouth. Um, but yeah, it might be good to see him, you know, get – get some looks this week uh on the defensive side of the ball anybody that you were paying particularly close attention to you know the linebacking core i think they they look really good this week with jalen walker and Torres jones and i think i want to see just them put string together two impressive performances in a row the opportunities there i just want to see them be able to do that just being the young guys replacing some really veteran linebackers there in the middle that jamie's had in the past yeah we saw a handful of true freshmen get to the game on saturday do you think we'll see more of them? You see, for one thing, will we see more freshmen play, make their debut, and will we see more snaps from some of those guys who did get on the field um, on Saturday? I would say yes. I mean, well, it's really depending on what the score is because I there's a possibility I could see Signetti with the following week being an off week that he might want to leave his starters in a little longer than you might against the NFCS opponent in a blowout just because of the fact they're going to have a week off. And you don't want to pull them too early and have a rust situation against App State where you come in and your first couple of drives aren't great. So I think I think that could that could happen too. But 
think there's a possibility we see a lot a lot of freshmen out there. Yeah. Um, well, before we wrap it up, we got to get get it wrapped up before we go back in and interview some players here. Um, just give me after one week. Does your opinion on where JMU is a program and what to expect from them this season has it changed at all for you at this point? Not yet. Um, I had penciled Middle Tennessee as a win, so I think we're gonna. Leave, I'm gonna leave it how it is. The, the the thing that will change my mind is in a few weeks when they play at App State and if how that game goes and if they play well, if they walk out of there to win. If they keep it close, I think my my idea changes. But for now, I think I'll leave it. Okay. Yeah, I think I might be leaning more towards maybe like a six to seven win team after what I see. But you know, maybe maybe Middle Tennessee will go to Colorado State and convince me that that wasn't uh, <laughs> much of an accomplishment. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, I think it's about time to wrap this up. We'll go inside. We're um, coming to you from the Plecker Athletic Performance Center and his first uh, on-location version of the Purple and Bold podcast, and we thank everybody for listening. Good job, Shane.